Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones, are you telling me that that's the next instalment coming in September of Cinema Swill, exclusively to $5 backers over at patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl? Yes, I am telling you that. I'm also telling you that those $5 backers will get access to every episode of Cinema Swill, a podcast series where Kevin and I review some really bad movies, plus Reverse Swill, where Kevin and I reviewed Casino Royale, some bonus Q&As, and a bunch of other fun bits and bobs. To find out more, head to patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl. Right, let's get swirling. Don't trust that tricksy Kevin. It's episode number 67. From Hollywood, California, the vegetable market that is, romping through the various stalls, feeling the turgid classic movies, and overlooking the swilly, smelly stuff from the sewers underneath, it's your old pal Cowboy Kevin, joined by my OTP king is vegetables, <laughs> Sam Chaplin. Onion. Turnip, parsnip. There we hey. go. That's me. Hello. It's nice to be here in the veg- the Hollywood's Hollywood's vegetable market. Yeah, I'm sorry I've made everyone nostalgic for vegetable markets and whatnot. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. Sam, how you doing today? I've obviously mentioned vegetable markets because we're not just in Hollywood. We're in the bloody East End of Hollywood. The East End London gangster movies. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm doing good. We had a heist vote, didn't we? We had heist-related films hi come here to me stick them up huh <laughs> well I, I did stick up the choices on the cinema uh, well facebook very, and people were voting really appreciate in droves it. this was a, a popular vote lots of people getting involved on this one we had the usual suspects oh yeah so who was in there then um <laughs> <laughs> we had the usual suspects which had all right who's some, in there then some some people involved in it we had heat and we had Snatch, and Snatch won by a considerable margin. This was uh, not expected. Snatch was very much the third choice in terms of when the poll was being put together, really. But it captured people's imaginations. People want to hear us talk about Snatch. Oh, yeah. Uh, and oh. Uh, and uh, uh-huh. hey, now we're, we're in, mate, we are in the east end of Landan, and it is... Guy Ritchie time. Proper gangster films, which mm. we'll be getting into very shortly. Now, I know we've had a lot of votes recently in Cinema Swirl. It feels like more often than not, every vote in Cinema Swirl now seems to be an unexpected outcome of sorts. Yeah. Which obviously speaks to a growing gulf between us and the listeners. We don't know you at all, right? Well, like, I was sitting here thinking, right, the usual suspects you know, of the heist movie genre, like The Usual Suspects and, you know, and Snatch. We also had Heat in there as mm-hmm. well. Now, I genuinely thought what had happened was that there was a group of people who were like, no, 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 don't do The Usual Suspects because it's got a lot of wrongins in it. And we yeah. were chatting beforehand. The director's a, a big wrongin as well. And yeah. all I'll say is, we're not going to say we'll never do those movies. But if no. you expect us to do it and not mention the overt fact that there's a big wrongin in it, it'll probably pop up here or there. And I couldn't decide whether or not it was some sort of a anti-wrongin faction mm. or pro-wrongin don't let these two scathing critics tear down my problematic phase faction and i don't know what it is either way snatch did win i like to think that the cinema swell universe 
with their own thoughts and feelings and, and trying to push us away from having to deal with the wrong-ins, you know. It was a choppy waters, I think, would have been the best way to describe reviewing that movie. Sure. <laughs> it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. But am I glad that we don't have to do it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we just had Blue Velvet, so that's one sick psychopath we've already had to deal with recently, and that was fictional and tough enough, so we'll leave it for one moment. I will say, though, I literally spent all weekend going around the house practicing my Al Pacino impression because Aww. I was convinced... Heat would win, and I realized, like, I thought I'd done a decent enough Scarface, but my real Pacino was, like, a 4.5 out of 10 at best. So all weekend, going around, listening to old Al Pacino interviews, listening to other people do impressions of him, describing everything in visceral detail, and none of you will get to hear it now, so there you go. Maybe just a little bit for the people at home? I love (laughs) I love I love this movie. That's as much as I can go. Actually, you know what? Can you bleep at least half of that? Because I don't want I don't want people getting it all for free. Well, it's a real right. shame that Heat didn't win, because uh, we. I feel we've missed out. Okay, I'll give you one more. Okay, I'll give you one more. Sure. <clears throat> oh, there you go. That's only a little bit, isn't it? There it's only is. a little bit. That's all, though. Yeah. That's all. You don't all get right. it. We're doing East End London gangster. Yeah. Sam, Guy Ritchie, mm-hmm. have you seen anything or have you avoided just lock, stock and smoking barrels? I haven't seen lock, stock and two smoking barrels. What? I, yeah, I know. I'm aware of Guy Ritchie. Have you even eaten a Yorkie? <laughs> huh? Not for a while. Not for a while. I bet the crisps you eat aren't maximum enriched for massive <laughs> flavour. <laughs> I eat those, those thin... Those thin crisps that you get. Yeah. Yeah. Bet you couldn't handle a cured meat stack that comes in a special black shiny wrapper with bright red font to indicate its manly spiciness. I bet you wouldn't even eat one of those. Are you talking pepperami, the the extreme one? Pepperami, the proper bloke's edition, yeah? Yeah. This is basically like eating a Yorkie made of spicy meat, all right? You better prepare yourself. I'm trying to have a little look through the filmography of of Mr. Ritchie to see what I'm familiar with. I'm interested to see how many of these I have actually seen. So we've got Lockstock. Two seen smoking that, barrels. Yeah. You've seen that. We've got Snatch. Mm. We've got Swept Away. Oh, that's the Madonna business. No, definitely not. That's basically kind of like Guy Ritchie entered into the film scene with all the pomp and circumstance of new labor. And that very much right there, that was the Iraq war of his movie <laughs> film career. So, you know, it tangled up in a knot of bad intel and bad public faith that he never truly recovered from. I can just see on the side in notes, Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director nominated for Worst Screenplay. Oh. Now, I I knew of his involvement with Madonna. They were in a relationship. Was this a Madonna vehicle? I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, And because it was the culture around at the time, I do remember the film critics of Loaded and FHM had a thing or two to say about Madonna's involvement in that. All I'll say, it was far from Pucka. That's all I'll say. I don't think I've seen any of these. So we've got Revolver, Rock and Roller. Yeah, Yeah, geez, I saw that on a plane. (laughs) Those new Sherlock Holmeses that he did. Oh, you know what? I'll stand by those. Okay. You know what? Yeah. I'll stand by... In a world where I'm actively defending the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yes, on DVD, I will stand by those movies. The Man from Uncle? Ah, no, that one. That was a wasted Saturday. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Coming to Cinema Swill near you? (laughs) And Aladdin, the recent live-action Aladdin was... That was Guy Ritchie directed. Oh, yeah. Wow. You can just cut out the bit I said earlier about Cinema Swill, because I don't want to do it twice. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, turns out I haven't seen any Guy Ritchie films, but I feel like he was a big part of British culture, that lad culture. He was in the papers. I knew about him in the, in the early 2000s, late 90s. Guy Ritchie and most of the lads, so to speak, would look at you now and think, oh, Sam Chaplin, he's going to have an awful adequate amount of tea in him because he's a mug mate. Yeah, because right, yeah, he's yeah. not watched any of the proper gangster movies. I find it so odd in particular that you've missed this because I would say a lot of people, if you were between the ages of 10 mm-hmm. and I want to say 32... <laughs> And a straight boy, you were probably were heavily pitched these you're being movies. Pitched yeah. Like this was like, oh come on, you and the guys, you're gonna maybe go watch a bit of a raunchy movie, kind of something that's a little bit funny and a little bit wacky. Let's pop it on. You know, this was a lot of stuff we'd been put on, you know, age 14, 15 at birthday parties and stuff like that. You know, kind of a bit of a, a slightly more rated R type of an environment. But like it's the type of movie that people are watching going out to the pub afterwards. It was like Guy Ritchie was fair. It was the fair of the masses. And how you managed to avoid that being both British and a top bloke is beyond me. I'm a top British bloke. I think what happened was I did absorb some of the marketing push around both Lockstock and Snatch. Because yeah. I remember, you know, TFI Friday with Chris oh, Evans. Yeah. I sort of remember a lot around that with Guy Ritchie and maybe Vinnie Jones and stuff like that. I, I have faint memories from when I was a child of th- some involvement there. Maybe a pastiche being cr- right. like a spoof sketch pastiche from Chris Evans. One of the finest comedy writers of our time. Maybe he had some involvement. <laughs> in that. To what will he do to that desk next week? <laughs> and what I very clearly remember around Snatch was seeing the the posters around mm-hmm. the kind of billboard posters and that was the first time because I'm now sort of a graphic design boy. Yeah. I remembered seeing the font for Snatch that's lowercase Helvetica bold against a white background, black on a white background and thinking, oh, that looks cool. And also, around the same time, early 2000s, about 2000, Jackass was out and if you uh, think about the Jackass yeah. logo, the font, it's Helvetica but that's white on black. And I think there was a style in publicity design at the time, or poster design, that I really liked. And I remember seeing it thinking, I like the look of that. I have no interest in actually seeing it. So it's a classic case then for Sam, and I feel we've been down this rabbit hole before, Mm. is not so much a case that I am rejecting British lads' culture. It's just I was too darn invested in these fonts. And how they look. Yeah. And that kind of had its hooks in me a little bit more. I felt like Guy Ritchie should have put a British font up there, you know? <laughs> Helvetica, that's... I don't think that's British, mate. I mean, it, you know at least, though, having not seen any old of the movies... Old English font is what should have been up there, you know? With an E at old, the end. Old of, English. Of all of those words, an if E at Guy the end. If Guy Ritchie wanted best of bloody British, mate, he would have put oldie English up on his posters, but he put Helvetica. So does it speak to it being just very successful marketing or very successfully, like, fingers on the pulse that this was kind of held up for a long, long time in the early noughties, particularly as a kind of quintessential fabric of like British cinema, the style and all that. Like, does that, is that just because like you, you knew they were very successful or a lot of your friends and stuff? That's something I'm interested in. Like at school, you went to a mixed school, didn't you? So mm-hmm. went to a comprehensive mate. British. Yeah. So <laughs> I was just wondering, like, did it make its way onto the playground and stuff like that? Were there people talking gangster, you know, talking Vinnie Jones, Jason Statham, that type of knockabout stuff? I sort of remember my brother was into these films. I think he liked Lockstock. He liked this. I think he liked yeah. Rock and Roller as well. Also Layer Cake, which I don't think Guy Ritchie is involved in, but that 
kind of fits into the same box for me in terms of things I'm thinking of. Joe showed me that. It's kind of the same world. I'd say yeah. different type of movie. Very, very good, though. Very good. And it's got our new favourite Bond. I don't know if you've heard of him. A little person called Daniel Craig, who I recently got acquainted with on Reverse Swirl. And I liked what I saw. And that's available on the Cinema Swirl Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Cinema Swirl. $5 backers. Check it out. I feel like I was aware that Guy Ritchie, for a point in time... Was the talk of the town, bees knees, like the ah, Brit- British film has found its new, it's finally made its way onto the the world scene. Would your dad have rented out Lockstock and Snatch and stuff? Has he seen these movies? Because I kind of feel he'd be an interesting. Like, did it reach into the adults, or is it just kind of the Mike Skinner generation of like, oh, actual adults just kind of dressing like children? <laughs> I'm not sure with my dad. It's it's hard to get a full handle on my dad's film taste. It'd be a private movie watching. He wouldn't watch it now mm. with, with the boys and the wife now, would he? He'd be sat down. I'm not sure. I'd have to. I'd have to find out. But I don't remember him being you know raving about Ah, these films interesting i mean i remember there was a general sense with like my parents and such that these were very violent movies very distressing and kind of like making light and And i think part of it may have been maybe people don't know this during the 80s my parents briefly when they were like early early 20s Mm. they emigrated to london and they lived there for a couple of years because there was literally no jobs where they were in ireland and they lived kind of on a slightly rough and tumble side of London let's just say and they saw a lot of things being Irish that they probably wouldn't have seen otherwise or other folks Ah. wouldn't have seen and I think they always viewed East End gangsters and the gangland stuff that goes on as not fish to be making fun of as an Irish person which has always been strange to me because I joke about it a lot about the kind of sense of Irish nationalism that I grew up with in my all boys boarding school and whatnot. Mm. but to say that there was strewn with contradictions and you know Guy Ritchie movies being like a holy chalice for the very very aggressive very Irish Dublin lads that I grew up in school with never made any sense to me there's a band who I'm fond of called Hoovers and Sledgehammers who, who summed up nicely which is uh, fucking hate the English get the fucking English out of here fucking hate the English even though my favourite band is the streets and I love Man United and Guy Ritchie movies so you know this was the kind of diet which so was, was that in the like, lyrics yeah that's the lyrics yeah <laughs> this was in the diet of like the Irish lads as much as the English folks I just yeah. I think it's very interesting that you would think that a lot of Irish guys growing up would think that the masculinity of being a tough Irish guy would have to disavow very English stuff. But oh no, we like Vinnie Jones and his fun hat as well. So <laughs> all I'd say is, mate, don't mug yourself. All right, just don't don't deny Ple- yourself. Plenty of mugging was going on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just something that I think many people may have listened to this thinking, oh well, Kevin didn't grow up with much of this, did he? No, like I watched Lockstock when I was like twelve years old and it mm. blew my mind, and I was like, way like Vinnie Jones was a very much one of the few cultural figures from football that I was really like, yeah, absolutely, I get Vinnie. Jones. Jones. He made the crossover into people who don't know about football know about Vinnie Jones, didn't he? He's yeah. one of yeah. He was a big and known for being a rough dude. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's a short list of people who've made that transition, though, isn't it? You've got him, you got Vinnie Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Cantona was never able to make that transition properly. I would mm-hmm. say it took him a few years really? to get into that yeah. spokesperson role. But it's Vinnie Jones, it's Gordon Ramsay. And it's David Baddiel and Frank Skinner. Those are the only four who We've actually made the transition, from, made football the transition to, yeah. from football to media like that. I seem to remember, did Vinnie Jones grab someone by the ghoulies? And that there was a photo Probably. of him on the pitch, just straight grabbing someone. And that, that was a foul. I'm no, I'm no referee. Mate. I'm no <laughs> linesman. 
but that was a foul. Yeah, and he goes up to him and he's he's covered in blood and there's the iconic photo of him saying, are you having a giraffe? And the referee's like, giraffe and, and then then so the, yeah. this greg wallace code it means a laugh in the corner translating from east end <laughs> i was agreeing <laughs> <laughs> red card red ghoulies after that because exactly, oh, exactly. Ow. yeah that, that so re- some of the other guy richie gang i mean jason statham are you familiar with this lad again like passively i know he's been he has been more of a recent fixture i mean he's been going for a long time but things I, like I'd, I'd say since from this point on because he had transporter in 02 and then you transporter 2 yeah and he had crank 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 2 the meg he fast he was meg he was furious yeah you know he was a hob and a shaw you know <laughs> I still can't believe the Calvin and Hobbes guy let them do that for the, the right, adaptation. Right, after all the years of holding off, and that was what he went with. Whatever, man. Not that familiar with Statham. In fact, in terms of people I know who are in this, Jones, yeah, Statham, mm-hmm. Pitt. Pitt? Now, 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 now. Is this our first Pitt? I think it is. This, <laughs> How can it be? This is our first Pitt. Very familiar with Pitt. Look, I've been a teenager. I really liked Fight Club. And I've seen Brad Pitt in a bunch of other stuff. What's your favourite Brad Pitt performance? Because I feel everyone has a moment in their life where, and I think it happens particularly oh. if you're like a teenage boy growing up in the, the 90s or whatever, where there's this kind of, like, you're almost bred culturally to, like, resent the Hollywood hunk megastar. Mm. Like, so we're, all, we're all meant to hate Ben Affleck. We're all meant to hate Brad Pitt just because of them being handsy and whatnot. Yeah. But I feel everyone's got a moment of, like, all right, fuck all that. Brad Pitt's actually great and I enjoy him. I, I'm saying that unironically. Was there a moment like that? for you inglorious bastards oh I really he, a great performance in that i i did really enjoy that i thought he was very good but yeah most things i've seen brad pitt in i've enjoyed his performances and look again it, it's almost a meme at this point how much blokes love fight club and they take the wrong things from it but as a younger man um and a younger boy i thought that was fuck that blew my tiny mind and i was like whoa dude this is so cool oh yeah i mean it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel blowing a, a millennial's mind in the year 2000 with fight club like it's yeah. not really not that difficult is it <laughs> so yeah he he was one of those like hollywood hunks who also kind of seemed cool and maybe ha- had something outside of that world and he was kind of subversive or not, you know. He's never come across as weird in the way no. that Tom Cruise has. And I no. would say they're equivalent mega, or John Travolta, or a lot of his... He's one of the few people who went from the 90s to the noughties to the 10s with a semi-similar sense of dignity that's often only served for, like, the very grand old guard of Hollywood. Mm. But I feel like the year 2000, when this came out, we're kind of at peak pit. You know, we're, well, we're peak mainstream pit, I would yeah, say. Like, you yeah. know, this is like. This Not necessarily peak performance, but peak. He's a big fucking deal in oh, yeah. the year and he's 2000. Shown he's more than just a pretty face as well. Because yeah. do, you know, do you know what Brad Pitt's capacity is in this movie? Uh, sort of. Sort of? I think he plays an Irish character. An Irish character? Yeah. Has Twitter been alive, have they? <laughs> I've seen some some rumblings. That some blinglings, you it's, say. It's, it'll be interesting to see Kevin's take on Brad Pitt's accent. Well, we'll have a little bit of an education session when we come back from the swirl about his character okay, and all that, because I think it's something that most people know very little about. So ah, I think it'll okay. be interesting. 
but yeah, I, I don't know that much, but I know he's in it. And I, I think for, for Guy Ritchie to have gone mm-hmm. from Lockstock, which I think was like a became a big deal, might not have been expected to be a big deal. Yeah, it was a breakout success, I would say, for, and this for was sure. Like, okay, throw money and budget and stars at it and basically do the same sort of thing, Guy Ritchie. I mean, are you surprised uh, when you was, you it was like a Guy Ritchie movie and there is Brad Pitt attached? I mean, I'm sure you've been aware of the movie for a long time, but mm. is it somewhat surprising that there are Hollywood megastars on the itty-gritty London movie? Look, mate, I know how Hollywood works, all right? I know what yeah. star power does to a film, okay? And, it's true. you know, you think, oh, this, hey, this British guy, he's got these great ideas. Let's get pit in. Yeah, like like an olive, let's put a pit in this. Uh-huh. Um, or let's pit. And, and then it'll be delicious in terms of money, profit, box office, revenue. So, Sam, I think before we pony up and head down that um uh the apples and pears <laughs> no hang on head down the coal dump overload i think that's the road okay yeah, we yeah. should look at the we should look at the oh fuck it the grocery bag no no i can't remember the old the old hag no yeah. no no we should look at the um i'll just play the music <laughs> this is so much harder than the numbers You slag. It's the mailbag. You were right. holding out on me the whole here time. We we're here in the mailbag. I should have. Outside there, he's got the charming exterior of a Nottingham Ranger, but deep down, he's got the skirl of an East End greengrocer. I knew it. Welcome to the mailbag. Look, all of these questions here, and you can send in your questions to cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. All of these questions have come in from that very same email address so Boom. proper proper mate is what it is proper i thought seeing as we're doing a british film we'd have proper british emails all right exactly you know yeah. british invented email exactly okay. not social media which has come from abroad <laughs> <laughs> we do bloody british email all right her majesty's email service yeah exactly our <laughs> first email here comes in from christian who writes hey guys if you had to relive a single moment every day for the rest of your lives would it be sam's ah it's a man moment or kevin's gotta do a really bad wee while delivering the mail moment and i think what this Mm. question really is is a kind of harrowing experience ranking thing here like yeah who who had the worst experience the world's worst Yu-Gi-Oh battle is about to take place here where Sam is like, I was discovered by a child in a state of near undress. And I'm like, mm. little did you see that my card was full of urine this entire time. <laughs> oh! Now, I'll say my piece. Mm-hmm. And I'll say about my piece is if this is some sort of like preacher-like idea of you having your own personal hell that they put you in and all that. It is a distressing s- scenario from my past. Yeah. But as bad as it felt afterwards to have done what I had done, yeah. I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that the 50 or so seconds while I was urinating, yes, inexplicably on the mail somewhat at the time, were some of the greatest moments of my life, which is why I was very glad I was never found on person doing it, because the look of shit... I literally started laughing when I was doing it, Sam, it felt 
smell so yeah. good. And I was I was pissing in the most exposed, dangerous manner possible with Her Majesty's royal mail as well, mm. you know? And that's why we treat the internet with respect here, because I can't piss on them both. I won't be allowed back in the country. No. I see what you're saying. And look, I'm going to say something controversial here. I think... Are you going to say your piece, are you? I'm going to say my... Well, I'm going to say... A, a, the pieces are going to be said. <laughs> I think you'd be hard-pushed. Now, I'm already thinking about how this is wrong. You'd be hard-pushed to have a bad time urinating. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the experience of actually weeing is consistently good. But now I'm like, oh, wait, there are are times when it's not. There's been times where it's been at least a suboptimal experience. Look, Sam, I see you're pissing, but it's no sneezing. I mean, don't don't try (laughs) and... You know, it's not the same party. Like, if it was going to a semi-presionable body experiences concert or whatever, there'd be a special velvet rope for sneezing to go into, and pissing wouldn't be... It'd be invited, but wouldn't be allowed in there. But there's something glorious about really needing a big wee and then finally having that wee whatever the circumstance it's a good feeling and you know if you happen to be desecrating a long-standing hated rival country's precious male with Mm. your awesome fenian piss then yeah go ahead but would i want to have that experience every day but that's compared to my experience of trying to have a these are both toilet related Mm. trying to have a nice poo Uh, again great but being discovered by a, a child's head popping under a toilet cubicle every day. And uh, you know what? There's so many permutations of that that could make it even worse, I think. Oh, like a, a Groundhog Day type thing where it just... It, there's, yeah. Uh. Like, you know, you wake up and this time, oh, actually, it's going to be a much less pleasurable experience with a much weirder kid, you know? Yeah, yeah, much, yeah. And I feel there's too many... You got probably the 6 out of 10 of that. There could have been a much worse version. Much better ones, but much worse ones as well. There could have been. Christian hasn't really fleshed out this universe. Is this like a Final Destination thing where every day you wake up and wherever you go, these things are going to have to happen to you? Like you, you could be not delivering the mail, but somehow you're somehow going to need to, to you're going to need to piss on something important. Yeah, <laughs> of, of large documentation somehow. And I'd be trying to you know sneak a poo somewhere, and just a, a child's head would pop out. But, but look, I just wanted to be known. Anyone who's yeah. listening, thinking, well, he sounds like a pretty cool dude pissing on the mail, right? Mm. Pissing on the mail is one thing, but I forbid any of you to even consider pissing on a dossier of any sort. That oh, is, do that not. Is piss on a dossier no you no. do not you know what i have realized you know in cinema swirls history there are some episodes that people just miss out because they haven't seen the film and mm. if, if you've missed the ones with these stories <laughs> then this is gonna make no fucking sense so, uh, what do you mean everyone's not checked out our blue velvet episode what are you talking about in fact <laughs> all of the, all of these things i've had i brought from the mailbag all relate to previous episodes and things that we've said so look go back but just pause Go back, listen to them all. No, yeah. if they pause there, they're not going to get your instruction. Uh, uh, okay. Don't resume. Right. Okay, resume. Now, resume. Okay, you're going to have to look. go back, look at some of these things, and listen to every episode so you're caught up and you understand all the little references. It's a very accessible podcast, but it's also got a lot of deep lore. Yeah. Go back when I say pause, okay? So you need to go back, listen, pause. And welcome back. Our next question. Thank you no, for that no, one. No, no, no. Unpause. 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 Resume. Welcome back. Thank you there for catching go. up with the podcast. Thank you very much, Christian, for your question. Our next question comes in from 
Josh from the US. First, let me say I am a huge fan of Josh. Stop it. That means a lot coming from you in the US. He said he's listened to 80% of the library because he heard you mention it on AE Podcast, and he he truly loves the banter. That's what I mean. 80%. You're going to miss out on little bits here and there. I was a big proponent of that as well. I'm like, you want to go check out around <laughs> yeah, eight, eight and ten episodes, I would say, are worth checking yeah. out. <laughs> That 20%, you can cut that yeah, out. Yeah, you could probably miss it, yeah. You'll start listening to them and you'll know which ones are in that 20%. He says, I do have a question, though, about Tiffin. What in the actual hell is Tiffin? And this this is my favourite bit. I just wanted to read this out. I googled it and the answer I found seems unacceptable. <laughs> there has to be more to it. <laughs> Josh is asking what is Tiffin he has researched what Tiffin is and is unhappy with the answer as to what Tiffin is well I mean you've looked up and you're unhappy with the answer what do you want us to do about it like I'm not I can't undo centuries of oppression and Protestantism you think I can unnail Luther's declaration on top of that their cathedral I can't be doing that it's a it's a little biscuity thing it's some chocolatey biscuity thing that I'm not that familiar with but Kevin thinks I am and that's part of the fun we have here on Cinema Swell. It's also a type of tin, I think. Or it a, is, a round... uh, it's a traditional Indian mm. takeaway container. And, right. and what is lovely is that we get lots of images from people who are like on holidays or just on Google Maps and going, look what I've seen. And <laughs> it's just like you know, Tiffin. And it's like, great. Yeah. Like, that, I will ch- I, you know what? Someday I want to go to all the Tiffin restaurants in the UK that they have to offer because I'm sure there's some great dishes to be yeah, had. Yeah. None um, of which are Tiffin. What I'll say, Josh, is that Tiffin is whatever you want it to be, all right? The, the real Tiffin is what you imagine Tiffin to be. Exactly. When you Google it and think that the answer is wrong. <laughs> I am living my Tiffin truth, and that's yeah. what works for me. Welcome to Tiffin's well. Look, it's what they say, Tiff Taff Love. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, Josh, from the US. And finally... One more thing here, and th- I realise this is all a nice walk down memory lane to Swirl and this comes up as well. This one's from Alex Dimmock, and I'll, I'll, you'll see why I've mentioned the surname. Hey guys, long time listener here, and Alex says he, he sent one of our first pieces of fan art back when he was at uni. So that's, oh. you know, back in the... So thank you, Alex. I recently re-listened to the National Lampoon Christmas episode, and Sam mentioned Charlie Dimmock of Ground Force. I wanted to let you know that Charlie is actually my first cousin once removed. Amazing. Which means that as I am a listener to the podcast, Sam is only two degrees of separation away from Ground Force, and Kevin is therefore only three degrees away from Alan Titchmarsh. Oh, yeah. actually, you know what? I, I would say three degrees from Titchmarsh, I wonder, because I did that cat documentary, and I wonder oh. if I worked with someone who might have a direct line to Tish. You could, know what I'm saying? Could you get closer? To- I think I may be closer in the orbit. I need to find out i mean i'm don't get me wrong i'm delighted with my three if, yeah, what, yeah. if i can get two oh yeah you know? can, ah. and imagine the connections from titchmarsh to other people you know um, imagine I mean, his circle imagine where you can go from there if you get to titchmarsh where do you go from there well, imagine his circle what you mean imagine the entire globe of the world because <laughs> that is what it would be that's how big a circle yeah as a kid, Alex says he would consistently be asked if we were related, him and Charlie Dimmock. And now, as an adult, it never comes up because no one remembers Ground Force. I remember Ground Force, Alex. I remember Ground Force. Ground Force figuratively and literally laid the groundwork for the gardening <laughs> genre, okay? Yeah. The walking pot, oh. as I like to call it. All right, that genre was popularised by Ground Force. He also mentions that he doesn't feel like they were ever close enough that he could get her to make a garden fountain for either of us, which, you know, fair enough. But, but thank you very much, Alex. 
Now, I'm trying to remember who was the, the burly bloke who would come and do some DIY and hit things with hammers. What was it? Tommy. Is it Tommy? Tommy? Tommy from ground. Tommy? Tommy with his big hammer? Tommy Hammer? Tommy, Tommy Hammer. Tommy Hammer. I think it was the Tom Hammer. I think you had Alan Titchmarsh, you had Charlie Dimmock, and you had old Tommy Hammer. Big Tommy Hammer. Who seems like a kind of, you know... British bloke just doing I was going to say, it feels like he wouldn't be out of place in the movie we're about to watch, uh, where T- Tommy the Hammer, like, what I would ask you now at this point, given that you're aware of the genre, at least second or mm. third hand, at least. Yeah. I'm as close to knowing about this film as I am to knowing Charlie Dimmock. <laughs> <laughs> so are you expecting laughs? Are you expecting mm. tension, like thriller? Are you expecting big action or is it going to be more kind of like suspense i know you know there's going to be heists in it you know that much like what type of experience is it going to be a very dramatic heist telling or is it going to be a romp what are you expecting you know that's that little piece of footage that would roll before uh, a vhs cassette and it would say you wouldn't download a car or the, you know that i'm expecting it to be like that you know okay a, a okay frenetic pace you know, I, yeah. I'm expecting things to move quickly. Whoa, 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 whoa! Are yeah. you expecting the pirates to get you? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Get away with his bucket of coals, you bastard. In terms of humour, I kind of think so. I kind of think yeah. there'll be a little bit of the, you know, the classic British wit in there. Uh, ah. I mean, how, how could it not be in there, you know? Okay. It's just going to be imbued in the... The stew that will be this film. You're expecting wish. You're expecting a bit of action. You're snappy, expecting snappy, gritty. snappiness, grittiness. Okay. Gritty, real. Are you expecting to have a good time? Do you think this is going to be something for Sam? You know what? To look at the poster and see that font, I think good time. Okay, and yeah, and something about this winning the popular vote instills some hope in me. You think that people are kind of wanting to show you a fun movie, basically? I would hope so. Yeah. Is that why Blue Velvet won then? Is this? <laughs> <laughs> And look, Brad Pitt, safe pair of hands, right? Oh, there he is. You've said it now. Safe pair of hands. Some say he's the Rylan of A-list Hollywood. He'll serve as well in this. So I'm thinking, I've got Pitt. I've got the backing of the Cinema Swirl universe. Okay. I've got Guy Ritchie talk of the town 20 years ago. Mm. We've got Vinnie Jones, a ghoulie grabber, if there ever was one. How could this possibly go wrong? And it's, and mate, it is British. It, it is, is best British. of British. Best at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, mate, it is what it is, and it is British. So how could I not support this? All right, well, make sure now before you get ready, you go up some Bisto Best gravy and you pour it over your DVD player. Have a big pint of it. Knock it back. You crack open a nice cold can of pot noodle and let's go do a cinema swirl. Well, I just uh, sat down and had a jam tart, by which I mean a big smelly fart, by which, of course, I mean I've eaten a man's heart. Uh, Sam, initial gut reactions to the East End masterpiece, Snatch. I had a really bloody fun time. That was, Did you know? That was a hoot. 
Was it? I them? really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my reaction. Yeah. I've been hoot central here. Owl time here on Cinema Swirl with all the hoots we've been having recently. Blue Velvet notwithstanding on the hoot spectrum. This was a, a busman's boot. Oh. Or hoot as... No one in London ever says, but... but I, th- I think man, a busman's boot is like kind of what you would give someone who's prone to a busman's holiday. Going, yeah, yeah. No, you're not going on that walking tour, mailman. You're going on a city break. Busman's boot, get out of your comfort zone. <laughs> it could be its own thing, I think, busman's boot. Compared to the other Owl's Hoots, which are busman's boots, which are hoots that we've watched recently, yep. is this a similar fist-thumping experience to like a Con Air or something like that? Or are we... Are we different Mm. territories here i think it's different i think that this felt and i have nothing really to back this up and i haven't thought it through this felt very televisual to me this felt like the kind of the giddy thrill of binging on a box set and just enjoying all the the inner workings of the characters were very spread around there were a lot of characters all all interplaying everything was kind of coming together so i really enjoyed that in a just a, a kind of comfortable eating all the nice Cockney goodies way. It it feels right, it, right. I felt very full and happy. And- Cockney potpourri is that a correct term for snatch? <laughs> like yeah, variety of nice smelling, different shapes, colors, sizes, all walks of life coming together for a nice harmony that goes. Mmm, smells best of British. You know what? After a night out. And yet, you know, a big boozy night out. Oh, a bit right. of potpourri after a night out. <laughs> oh, no, don't wrap it too tightly, please. I'm going to have a big whiff of this on the way home. And you go to, you know, the takeaway, you get some chips, you maybe get a kebab, you, you mm. put garlic mayo on that. And at the time, the enjoyment that you feel from that, not afterwards in the morning, but at the time, mm-hmm. that thrill of just eating that, that's how I felt, I think. Okay, uh, and yeah. is, is that type of a relationship with the movie, does that mean you are anticipating either A, some sort of figurative movie hangover, or at the very least, some sort of figurative movie increased sodium levels, therefore I'm a little bit thirsty and irritable the next day in a way I can't quite put my finger on until someone points out to me at 6pm? There was definitely a feeling that, like, if I have too much of this, ah, it's game over. Right, <laughs> like, right. I was saying, next time you open a tall can of lager, just mm. be careful, because you might see something you don't like in yourself I'm like oh i'm enjoying this it is a, it's rich it's very rich and it, <laughs> in a, it <laughs> this, this could all come tumbling down but i it, it never did i really enjoyed the the delicious saltiness of this film <laughs> i will say at a lean hour 40 or mm. whatever it was yeah a blistering pace oh rich as it may be this was more like kind of getting 20 rich tapas and not realizing that you've eaten five dinners so it kind of it, it flow by at a, at a brisk brisk pace in the nicest way possible i mean that snatch more like snap because it was just so snappy it was just it, it was over like that it was just quick stuff going on all the time snap crackle Pop goes the weasel, that is. We're introduced to our main character, Snatch himself, a.k.a. (laughs) (laughs) A.k.a. Turkish, played by Jason Statham, who we are reliably informed was named after a bloody plane crash. My name's Snatch. Funny name for an Englishman. Oh, that's a great Jason. Is it? It is. not. You have you been to England to prepare for this? <laughs> yeah, Turkish. He was named. It, his parents were in a plane crash. This all seems like kind of bollocks. Cockney really. hearsay is yeah. what it is. It sounds like a Cockney and Bull story, if you don't mind me saying. Named after a plane, and we also meet Tommy, who says he was named after a gun. 
but he wasn't. And that's Stephen Graham, who I know from things. Al Capone mm, in Boardwalk know? Empire. Ah, very good. Combo, This Is England. Oh, yeah. Mm. Big Stephen Graham fan. Yeah. Oh, he's very good. Oh, good He actor. can thrill and chill and mm. the odd spill as well. And hey, he's got some comedy chops as well, hasn't he? Is it weird seeing him as such a young boy? Because I don't recall seeing him younger than here. This is like fucking straight up. This is like you, you rip the goo off of him when he comes out of the special Hollywood chamber. Very strange to see him looking young. And he does look young. I think perhaps my first exposure to him might have been Arctic Monkeys' When the Sun Goes Down music video. And that, uh, that was only I, about four years after this. And he, at that point, he was just oldish, grotty man. Here he's young boy. In those four years, Stephen Graham just became who he is now. That's what the gangster lifestyle will do to you, even if you just play the gangster <laughs> lifestyle on television and whatnot, you know? That, that's what it will happen to you. you. But yeah, it's weird seeing him as a boy. Yeah, I mean, not since Bob Hoskins was in Furiously Checks Notes music video has there been such a marriage of the British movie scene and MTV2 videos. Jamie T's Sheila. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Long-time listeners of the podcast, you may save your emails and tweets. So, we have a little bit of back and forth between these two lads who mm. I could best describe as dressing like dads whose lives have come at them too fast from the only way is Essex. They're like, uh-oh, responsibility buddies, better get myself a big brown coat. Yes, you better. But, you know, he's a bit of a plonker, but he is like my brother to me. We are brothers and we are friends. I am a boxing promoter. And what do I know about diamonds? Where am I? I'm at the end of the film, but it's the start. Ah, great I stuff. mean, what am I going to do is I'm going to stand around with another man in a brown coat with her hands in her pockets making her coats look slightly bigger diamond heists don't get tougher than this here we <laughs> are well, you see, long-time watchers of Eat Well for Less know that Greg Wallace is trained for such things because he hides often behind the onions and the cabbages and whatnot. And they're like, who's that looking at me in Tesco? It's only Greg. He's been here the entire time. He's been here since item one on your list. He's been here since item one. Now, a thing I really enjoy about this film is how much just pure style we get here in a filmmaking perspective. We get a lot of style. Maybe too much. Maybe it's over substance. I imagine people could say that some of the stylistic elements here are over-egged, to, to quote Greg Wallace. You know, it is, a, it is weird seeing this from 2000, mm. and it's a style that I remember a lot of people in the mid-2000s going, oh, that's very Edgar Wright, so it is, with the mm. kind of the fast zoom, 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 oh, I'm going to have a coffee, I'm having a wee now, oh, I'm going to open the door with me jingly keys, you know, that THX type of effect. I feel like this has a young British cinema vibe to it that has carried on for a bit in other places. Very true. And of yeah. course, the director is a young, young man here. So, you know, it works well. The credits popping up on these CCTV screens, the like actually in the world of the thing, we get the credits of who the actors are as these Hasidic Jews, apparently, but they're, they're just blokes dressing up, are going through the CCTV upstairs to somewhere. This is in Antwerp. We're far flung. We're going all over the place. Yeah, I will say in advance, this is a bit of a nightmare in terms of note-taking and keeping our place and whatnot, just because oh, yeah. bang, 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 they don't relay many of the points here, because before long, we're not just in Antwerp with these fellows dressed up as Hasidic Jews. It's a straight-up host. Sorry, it's a straight-up heist. There's a heist going on, because this is the heistings, the the ho- Cinema Swirl Heist Edition. 
Look, pr- pretty quickly we get the kind of pulsing music, the kind of ns, 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 quick cuts, loud noises. This is what I expected. Pans and zooms. Benicio del Toro is here, and he's after a diamond. He's got the diamond. He's got it in a case. The case is attached to his arm, and we again more style. I thought we had some of the credits, but now we have an almost music video-like sequence introducing all our characters. We get little. It was very video gamey. I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and this is before you would have had stuff like this really in video games that I would imagine to be any sort of an influence for Guy Ritchie, who probably at best was beaten off to Lara Croft and playing Gran Turismo tall hours in the morning. We know how you spent the 90s. I'm just thinking, like, some of this, I think, to a different viewer, could come across in the way that Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which we watched <laughs> for Cinema Swill came across to me like too much of this can make you sick but this i think is handled well the kind of stylistic playfulness here but check this out what a cast of characters saul mickey Vinny, frankie Fourfingers, gorgeous george bullet tooth tony Bricktop, boris the blade doug the head and every single one of them is confirmed for super smash brothers <laughs> brawl ultimate wave three i didn't think they'd get into these fire emblem characters uh. but they're all there if you played fire emblem Room three, you're very familiar with Bullet Tooth Tony, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Vinnie Jones is like, this is my house, and you have to battle with them. And it, it may seem difficult, but give it an hour or four, and it'll melt your heart. It's a great sequence, and we get that sense. Oh, there's a lot of characters. There's going to be a lot of people to be keeping up with, and I just about managed it but it was tough at times to be like who's that i just need to remember who all these people are it was one of the moments in time from this podcast where you kind of go yeah no i'm keeping this up i'll understand who everyone is but then realizing you are literally taking notes as you go along (laughs) telling you who people are yeah so there was a little bit of help here i think the first time i saw this but it's kind of like i think that the first time i saw pulp fiction as a kid i got the same thing where it was just like a blur of shit happened and in the first instance it didn't click necessarily what everything with each other and i will say this movie does probably enjoy repeat viewings not to say that it is massively deep or anything like that but the richness is there yes definitely now uh kind of primary protagonists here turkish and tommy they're Boxing promoters? No, they're uh, they're B and B operators. Sam, I'll have you know, bangers and boxing. That's what they're up to here. <laughs> There's a lad with them just always cooking sausages. That's Cut funny. The whole movie, uh, love it, love it. This thing is a like a quotable goof fest. Really, there's a lot of little solid gags in here. Little witticisms between the characters. It's an unlicensed boxing match, Tommy. Not a tickling competition. Just things like that. It just ah, oh, it makes me happy. And other really deftly handled light lines like oh fuck it hey parkies well yeah I mean that that as well yeah oh no (laughs) (laughs) these these two lads they need a new office their current office is a caravan so they need a new caravan okay we've got one of our plot threads here because they need to go and get a caravan from some travellers and the correct terminology used there Sam we'll uh, we'll come back to that later in the session remember that's one of your key terms for today's episode of Cinema Swirl. There is also a subplot going on with Frankie Fourfingers giving his gun away to Boris the Russian when he was coming back, which is now come into possession of Tommy, who has his gun. There's lots of this. Usually it's in a time travel movie you get this. I watched Dark recently on Netflix, but there's a lot of, like, the item which is passed on to this person, which is then passed on. It's like a fetch quest from Zelda 
or something like that. It makes sense kind of at the end, but you don't care about it that much as it's going on. Everything's interconnected. Benicio del Toro is Frankie Four Fingers. He's got four fingers. He's got. He's currently got the diamond. Okay, if we're keeping track of who's got the diamond, Frankie Four Fingers has got the diamond. But he's got a gun from Boris the Blade. Boris the Blade is. Bent as a Soviet sickle and as hard as the hammer that crosses it. Come on, come on, I like that a lot. How's that he's for a better, how's your father? He, he is Russian. Yeah, and Tommy has to get a gun from Boris because he's scared of a man called Bricktop. Bricktop! Bricktop. Bricktop! Oh, he's a scary individual. Oh, I've not seen the actor who plays Bricktop before, I don't really? think. Really? No. Oh, man, but... he's... Actually, you know what? He's shown up in some classic Alan Partridge bits. He was, well... uh... I don't know if you watched Knowing Me, Knowing You. He's, like, the... He plays basically the same guy, an East End gangster who writes a tell-all book, <laughs> and then Alan does the really, like, gaudy recreation of the crime that he's supposed to think of his <laughs> to try and, like, prove that he's guilty of murder. But, I mean, he showed up in, like, Snuffbox. I mean, it's just the same thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. I'm a fucking priest. You know, you know, oh, you're a fucking dog, Gary. I'm gonna cut your fucking balls off, hit you with a stun gun, a plastic bag, and then stab you and feed you to the fucking pigs. That's what they said to me in immigration when I came through, <laughs> and it was a little bit intimidating. It was a little bit hostile. Well, yeah, I mean, Bricktop is very intimidating. Not to be confused with Brit Box, which is a different no. <laughs> thing altogether. <laughs> what, you don't want to watch season one of Doctor Who? You fucking can't. Come on, give us your fiver. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we want to check out Ground Force. I It'll think be that might Brit actually Box. be the endorsement that we should be going for now. <laughs> Trying to get that Brickbox deal. So, Bricktop. Look, you don't want to be in debt to Bricktop. No, because you don't want to be like Oasis or Blur. Like, you're one side, you're a son of a gun. The other side, you're a son of a gun. It was literally a minefield. Uh, or otherwise, if you're in debt to Britpop... You'll be d- turned into pulp. Beca- uh, hey! be- right? Yeah? Thank you. <laughs> and then, gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, in the nicest way possible, Sam, yeah. I feel you're indebted to Britpop. Like, I am you're, you're a fan, aren't you? Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever bought any of the bloke from Blurs's cheese? I figured that'd be something you'd be down for. I honestly have, yes. I knew it! I had, it was available in the fancy cheese shop in Lincoln. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. now you made me Lincoln nostalgic. I've oh. had some of Alex James's Tory cheese that he makes... <laughs> <laughs> with that, with those blue lines through it, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that technically counted as a vote when you, uh, when, you when you bought uh, that. So. Oh, well. I mean, look, if, if Graham, Damon, or Dave had made their own cheese, I'd have gone for that too. But they, they didn't. They didn't do it. So. Balls in your court, guys. Yeah. You know. All right. So one of these Russian fellas. Oh, hold on. This is the really helpful part of the movie, which I've written down: Russian slash American intrigue in capital letters. <laughs> yeah, I think some Russians have sent Frankie Four Fingers Benicio del Toro to go and see Boris to get a gun, but that's a setup so that somehow the stone can get stolen because the Russians want to steal the stone. Boris wants the stone, and Frankie. Loves to gamble. Oh, he does. The quick little cuts to the Viva Las Vegas and him Excellent. loving his casino life. Good, oh, good stuff. Style, style. Father Ted vibes to that one, right? Yeah. And there's cousin Avi on the phone to Frankie. Fish and chips, cup of tea, bad food, worse weather. Mary fucking Poppins, London. That's why I said back to them. I was like, yeah. And then they were intimidated. They go, all right, game recognizes game. You can give as good as you can take. You've said your piece, and you don't suffer fools gladly. Welcome to the UK. So the man with the diamond at the moment is sort of slowly being set up to have the diamond pinched off him. That's not happening just yet. 
No. We're still being introduced to a lot of characters. Doug the Head, who yeah. pretends to be Jewish for business reasons. <laughs> he's, he's the guy to go to for stolen stones, and that's Doug the Head. There you go. He's a like a pawn shop guy. He knows his stuff. A diamond dealer, but they say mainly yeah. that he's a fence, so that he's someone who takes stolen goods and finds buyers for them with a, a trace in now, between. Now, there's a, a difference between a diamond dealer and a diamond geezer. Oh, yeah, that's true. But those things can overlap in the kind of Venn diagram. You can have a diamond dealer who is a diamond geezer. And Diamond Dog from Con Air, he was a diamond geezer, but he was not involved in the dealing of diamonds. So that Venn diagram is three circles all, all mixed together. It's more of like a there. diamond shape, really, the, the Venn diagram? A Venn diamond. <laughs> 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 a Venn diamond. Oh, God. I, look, it's fast and you get lost. I remember having fun and now I'm like, if I try and remember what happened here and which bits are actually important to talk about. It's all flashes, isn't it? It's all flashes. Um, There's a, there's a fight going to happen in a couple of days. Gorgeous George. And there's a bookies that will take bets on this. And Bricktop's involved as well, so, you know. Bricktop's the kind of boxing, big boxing promoter, isn't he? Or he's, like, involved in booking these fights and things. He's booking the fights, he's taking the bets, etc. But he's crooked. He's fixing the fights, Sam. And Four Fingers, Frankie Four Fingers, who's got the diamond, is sent to go to the bookies that will take bets for this thing, but that's because they're going to set him up and rob him at the bookies and get diamond from him, but he doesn't know that a favour he's doing is to Oh, oh, I, I, oh. As I said earlier, intrigue. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, intrigue generally. So now comes the part of the movie that okay. may require some explanation because when they turn up to the traveler's site in this next scene, mm. there is a brief moment where one of the characters said, They're not Irish, they're not English. And then they call them Pikeys again. And then Brad Pitt comes out with a very interesting accent. And like, I think the movie does a decent enough job in not attempting to explain something it feels completely at odds with trying to explain whatsoever. Right. So I figured that much is worth saying. But what's the, I just want to know, baseline your watching of this, what is your understanding of Brad Pitt's character, Mickey? Why does he sound like that? Is he Irish? Is he English? What? They call them gypsies or gypos is a kind of derogatory hateful term. Mm. I will say pikey as well also considered a derogatory hateful term and the term knacker as well derogatory and hateful all those really no recognizing the community as being you know horrible things to say just yeah. so we know uh, so, so now you're deferring to me to say to say what what do you know i just want to know i'm not this isn't a judging okay, thing yeah, yeah, i genuinely think no one in england knows this i grew up around a lot of this because i grew up in the countryside in ireland mm. so i'm more familiar with it than most and i went to school in dublin where no one knew fucking anything because they just called anyone who was poor or wore tracksuits they called them knackers and made out the traveler. It's just an yeah. absolute mess that is never... So this is for people's benefit. I'm trying to help. I feel like some of the terminology that you mentioned there, I've heard that applied to different groups really? and peoples. And th- so it, it's maybe a bit confusing. But basically, I think my understanding is the traveling community, travelers, I know basically, like, they travel, caravans, campsites, yeah. no things magic, like that. Right. Yeah, 
and I thought they were Irish, okay. I think. Or that's part of it, or that could be part of it, but it is also its own thing. Okay. I really don't know enough to be talking about this and much. Just you live in Nottingham now currently. Mm. You grew up in Nottingham as well, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Was there any because like where I live in Manchester, there are some traveller communities out the way a bit. Mm. And in Lincolnshire, I lived in a few places there was no one there, similarly up in Glasgow. But was there many travelling communities or are there anything of the sort near where you are? Is this something that you like did you hear about? at all growing up ever maybe a little bit here and there but not yeah I, I haven't had much direct experience or knowledge to really know that much you said you recognized some of the old terms that were were thrown around there yeah i think one one of the ones that you said and i don't look i don't want to repeat some of this but That's one of the ones right. you said i've just heard kind of be used as a generic derogatory term yeah uh, in the same way that like chav is used yeah like, i've heard it used in that way the word chav isn't used in ireland i mean i've not lived in ireland for 10 years mm. now but that word we would instead have used and i particularly when i was in dublin it was all the kind of anti-traveler slurs or whatever so it's a little bit confused because you feel all there's a lot of people who use that word or those terms you know that are used throughout this movie they use them to describe not travelers just like poor people or people they consider to be undesirable or whatever yeah so it can be a little bit of a a muddly minefield as them saying that they're not quite English and they're not quite Irish yeah it's a little bit more nuanced than that let's just say first thing gypsies or Roma or Roma travellers are ethnically separate completely altogether from Irish travellers and in England there are Roma travellers and gypsies and there are in Ireland as well but there are in smaller numbers, let's just say, and they're completely distinct, and they like nothing more than being confused with the different traveller population. No, they, they dislike it a lot. Mm. Anywho, the actual origin of Irish travellers, which you find in Ireland and in England, as depicted in this movie, mm-hmm. and I was actually quite surprised when I moved to England that there were so many Irish traveller communities here, but they are considered to be an indigenously distinct group of people. Right. Even though genetically, there's been a lot of kind of confusion about are they related to the Roman and whatnot. Genetically, they're considered Irish, but they're a distinct population because they have been a distinct population for like a thousand years or something. So they're different enough genetically and whatnot. So there are lots of theories about where traveller populations have come from. One theory is that they were just Celts who never settled down. I'm talking like ye olden warlord chieftain times before you English came over and had a go at us, right? Mm-hmm. Also, they are believed to be that they could have been the descendants of Irish people who were made homeless when Oliver Cromwell and the gang came around here and made a large population of people in Ireland homeless. Right. There's also people who believe that they were a distinct population that emigrated at another point in time and just kind of went about their own business. Anyway, loads of folks came over into the UK, mostly England, mm-hmm. from Ireland, from traveller communities, after World War II and after the famine as well. After the famine, because there was lots of people dying and it was one of the few ways to try and start a new life and after world war ii because you needed lots of labor cheap for roads and stuff and not have to provide accommodation da, 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 da. anywho they're a long maligned group of people who mm-hmm. have probably fared as you've no doubt seen from a lot of quite shitty representations on television yes i'm sure you've seen your fair share of channel four five etc documentaries advertised i've seen bits and pieces yeah and all i will say is that even though their ways are very different and they may even seem like silly or quaint to folks who aren't used to hearing them or whatnot the depiction here is definitely quite a bit for yucks but i will say they are their own group of people and deserve a bit of respect because i grew up feeling very uncomfortable about 
how people talked about them and how people equated everyone who was poor to being in this whole group and also a lot of people who are like oh travelers i feel sorry for them it's not, it's their way of life they choose to travel and be nomadic yeah it is often at odds with how the country works in some ways with planning and all that jazz but there you go you can tweet me if you want to know any more information just thought we'd get into that before we start making fun of brad pickard ha ah, jesus there we got it now save your breath cool your porridge huh right, save your breath cool your porridge there now sam come on now huh how do you feel about that accent i think there are lines that you can take with Brad here, and I would say for an American actor to do it, it is impressive. He's going for a very particular type of Dundalk drawl there, of a particular kind of subset of the Traveller community. He does sub lines very well, but there are a couple of times where he goes for more than a line or two, where you can see the cracks appear a bit and it's okay. quite hokey but the problem is is people go oh that's a terrible irish accent but he's not doing an irish accent no, he's doing a something different irish traveler in the uk accent which is a very different thing altogether but all i will say is that he's a little bit unintelligible for my liking because i always find that the traveler drawl is very much like an old style wrestling promo where they'll talk a mile a minute but you hear every single word enunciated very clearly right it is a gift of the gab so to speak so I th- it's not as bad as you'd think I will make fun of it, though. Okay. (laughs) There was some stuff in the voiceover from Turkish saying that this was like a deliberate thing to throw people off, to be uh, unintelligible in the way that they're speaking. Sure, that's what the English would think, though, wouldn't they? It does seem like the sort of thing that we... (laughs) It's like when we're arranging recordings, I put on my extra Irish voice when I wanted to suit me more. (laughs) (laughs) The portrayal of these characters, I, I feel like there's a lot of stereotyping going on and maybe some subversion of that occasionally there is a bit of subversion yeah Yeah. i mean i'm not from the traveler community so i couldn't tell you if it's fair or not i mean yeah you know they don't get kind of made light of in the way that a lot of kind of punching down stuff might do but they're certainly treated as being like a spectacular oddity like whoa what the fuck is this yeah which I mean, the movie can't help itself in some respects because it's so over the top. If they're going to show you anything different, it's going to be like, look how different it all is. I mean, Tommy buys a caravan. As he's taking the caravan away, the wheels immediately fall off. He's not able to get a refund. But Mickey, Brad Pitt, uh, says, well, I'll fight Gorgeous George, the boxer that Tommy's brought along with him. Should I fight the big fellow over there now? I'll do it with him now. <laughs> Come here to him now. I'll catch the ring down. I'll fight him now. There. I'll fight him for the money. Turns out, Brad Pitt in full fucking fight club mode here, uh, baby. Sure, sure, there's no, no match from there now. at the top on him there now. Sure, the big man came in there. He was shooting on him. The big fumigating on him there now. The big head on him. Huh? Red. Red he was. Red is a fucking bull he was. He's a bare-knuckle boxing champion, so he knocks gorgeous George. I bet him like a dag. The fuck, the fuck out. So gorgeous George is down, and the, you know we've got no money. That's ten grand that they took with them to buy this caravan. And now they've not got a good caravan, and they've not got money. So this is this is tricky now. You know what I'll tell you? I'll tell you what, Sam. Mm. Brad Pitt does seem like he's having a whale of a time and that he's trying very hard and that I feel that he's researched something that probably was not very easy to research as a Hollywood actor in the late 90s. He's trying to perhaps play against type in terms of, you know, what what he was perceived as at, at the time. Although he does lean into the fight clubbiness here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he yeah. probably was just in this fight club shape and thought, I'll go, you know, live on a I'll live with the travellers for, a <laughs> for a, a amount, keep the fat levels down, and I'll record this. I bet there is something where he went to live with, like, a traveller community or something like that. So we've got more, more characters here. We've got Sol, 
We've got Vinny. Oh, Vinny and Saul. These are my faves. Very funny couple of characters here. And these guys are basically kind of down on their luck a little bit. You, you meet them when they're trying to trade in like fake diamonds and try to get a little bit of money after a big score. Their getaway driver, Tyrone, is easily my favorite character in the movie. This guy is fucking comedy gold very he's, very funny he's got physical comedy and timing you know i absolutely love just the silly humor of them all being in a slightly too small car and they're all like kind of all stuffed up together and it's the getaway vehicle it's so fucking funny and they say he's taking a rally course and i immediately <laughs> imagined him playing sega rally like loads <laughs> <laughs> boris the blade the russian from before is asking these lads to hold up a bookies which is the one that frankie Fourfingers is going to go into so that Boris is trying to get the diamond through Sol and Vinny and Tyrone. The bookies belongs to Britbox, but they've got big, you know they've got a big shotgun. They've got a dog from the traveller community. Vinny bought a dog from them, and that dog eats an entire chew toy. I have seen that happen in real life, and it is a sight to behold. I went through a long period of time and not liking dogs because I did this thing in Glasgow where I had to like, put out seeds for a science project and I would get attacked by dogs. And then I read all this scientific literature where it's like, dogs don't like tall people or people with glasses or people with beards or people with deeper voices or darker hair. I was like, oh, okay, the world is telling me something. And I've come around to dogs again mm-hmm. and because all through those years there was a kernel of truth, which is I saw a dog swallow a chew tie hole once and he had the best look in his face. Like he was so proud and yeah. so happy. And then he barked and went, Aah! and they had to take him to the vet. And it was really, you know, he was strong throughout and he made it through okay. It is funny when the dog does that, when he's all squeaky. That is that is a bit of fun. Not, not in real, you know, it's distressing. But any idea of a dog projecting hubris? I, I'm so we've got those characters i think they're great and like they're like smart but also fucking idiots like they get into so much so many calamities here throughout this whole process high stakes japes tommy is now back and he's got to explain this gorgeous george situation to turkish who took the jam out of your donut you you fucking took the jam out of my donut tommy you taking the jam out of my donut can you say and there's nothing i the actor jason statham hates more than the jam being taken out of my donuts. <laughs> Please. And there is nothing I, the actor Jason Statham, hate more than the jam being taken out of a fucking donut. Fucking hell, I love this. This is great. <laughs> this is fucking great. Look, that's my birthday present sorted. You can do me one of those. And Tom's like, oh, look, we'll replace the fighter. Who are we going to replace the fighter with? John the Gun, Mad Fist Willie. Unfortunately, Mad Fist Willie went mad and John the Gun shot himself. Oh, no! There we go. Not John the Gun! But we'll use Mickey. And that's not what they say, but they say... We'll use Mickey. And Mickey is a tough negotiator, you mm. know, as is a, a community that has developed from the metalworking tradesmen of ye olden times. You know, long history of making deals and all that. So he drives mm. a hard bargain and the cost for one fight is one caravan, which in 2000, when it's like Brainiac, you know, peak Brainiac, when people really were into caravans, like massively so, that was a pretty hard bargain he was driving, if you don't ask me, Sam. One caravan, one fight fight but the funny thing that keeps coming up here is that like originally the two lads were trying to get a caravan and now they owe a caravan and there's just more and more caravan chat here they're just piling on the caravans but they agree okay right we'll we'll get you a caravan for your ma for your mum all right we'll get get your caravan if you do his ma his ma i also liked how much you're gonna pay me 10k i lose more than that running for the bus 
which you know is that's a nice little line i want you to get um, some better trousers then mate yeah um, if you sniff aggressively after a kind of an aggressive put down it almost seems like a joke they've got their replacement but they've got to explain this to new streaming service from BBC and ITV, BritBox. Let me fucking tell you about the good life, my friend. Let me fuck Now sit down, sit down, watch <laughs> all 11 episodes of The Fucking Good Life, then get back to me. Why don't you grow some fucking vegetables? I mean, we've lost Gorgeous George. Well, where'd you lose him? He's not a pair of fucking car keys, is he? I mean... <laughs> Ah, yes. Also, a a bit of Cockney slang, or like just hard man talk that I don't understand. We've got a replacement, and he's mustard. He's mustard. Is that that a rhyming slang or anything like that? I don't know. Mustard? Mustard. Mustard. It sounds like something if you're playing an old-timey card game with wealthy dowagers, and you just lay out your cards and go, no, I believe I have mustard. And then they all have to go, oh, very well. And they give you their lands and titles. I'm afraid that's it for me, gentlemen. I'm mustard, so I must be off. Um, (laughs) Bricktop, who... Is, has, is very acerbic, scary, says some scary mm. things. Mm. There was a point here where he said something that sounded like a man trying to say something cool and like grasping at straws, but still getting away with it because everyone's scared of him. He's it's like, oh, we've got a replacement, he's mustard. I don't care if he's Mohammed, I'm hard Bruce Lee. I don't want him here. And it's just like, that's the bit. Mohammed, I'm hard Bruce Lee. I love that trope of someone i mean no it's not used enough to be a trope someone mm. who is like kind of so intimidating they can say something sort of stupid <laughs> but people are like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, good yeah, point. yeah no no good point good point well said well said so make sure your man goes down in the fourth all right i'll agree to this replacement shit even though i'm taking bets on this and that complicates everything make sure your man goes down in the fourth round i should make you what you do now put me out there now on skid row huh you take me back down and put me out there on skid row huh Ah, now, save your breath, cool your powers now. You put me out in Skid Row now, sure. I might as well go down there out to Skid Row. Oh, do you, do you want to do that from the shop, is it? Because I'm just going around with Skid Row now, where <laughs> my bags are now. Ah, oh, yeah, no, go on. See you later, so. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, more characters transferring from place to place. We've, so we've got an American man, Avi. He's coming to London now. You know, bad food, worse weather. Mary fucking Poppins, London. They're very concerned, essentially, that Frankie's going gamble because he is very prone to gambling. Because I think they're like, yeah, he's going to go to like a boxing match or whatever it is. He's going to gamble. So Abby's on the way to kind of get involved in this and sort some of this out himself. Sol, Vinny and Tyrone and their squeaky dog are waiting to rob Frankie Fourfingers at the bookies. Oh, this is a beautiful scene. Oh, so they see someone go in and they're like, oh, is that him? I don't know. How many fingers did he have? Uh, I don't know. Let's just go. <laughs> Let's just go in anyway. And it's not worse than when you begin the process oh. of robbing something and then it turns into a mugging and the victim is yourself. I fucking uh, love uh, this. Uh, uh, oh. The woman behind the counter, as he as Sol tries to stick up the bookies, she's like, do you know who this bookies belongs to? <laughs> and she just doesn't, like, is not intimidated by them at all. All bets are off. There's no fucking cash in the thing, is there? Because all, all bets are off. You're like a bag of pennies, like, you know, from one of the, uh, the low-end betting pools, probably. She manages to nick the shotgun off them, so now they don't have their big weapon that they had before, and they're all locked in behind security shutters that have come up. So they're stuck in this bookies without any weapons and no money. Like, Hang on, I'll get us out of here. And, like, they shoot the door and it ricochets. He hits the bag. He hits his partner. It's just... A- it's a fucking proper silly situation comedy like something that's you know 
wouldn't seem out of place to seem like this reminds the guns on like a BBC sketch show in like the yeah, 70s yeah. or whatever. It, you know, it, it's, it's almost si- sitcomy, isn't it? It's, it's, Slapstick, it's, like, yeah, yeah. you know. Very funny. I could imagine this exact scene, but with the characters from Bottom instead, and it's still <laughs> reading exactly the same. Yeah, and they get the guy who they saw come in, and he's like, oh, he's got five fucking fingers. He's not, he's not the guy that we need. But Tyrone, getaway driver, he's the one who has his shit together because he sees Frankie Fourfingers coming out of a van behind them and it's quickly bundles him into the car. viewing from all that rally driving that he's done. Yeah, you can yeah, spot he's the obstacles. His mirrors. Exactly. Yeah. Ten and two, yeah? <laughs> all right, fight time. Here we go. Big fight time. This is going to presumably last ages because we're going four rounds, right? We got Mickey right? taking on Madman Harris. And they call him One Punch Mick because he upsets Bricktop very quickly with one punch and knocks this man KO. That was not the plan. That was not what was supposed to happen. It was a a big silly fuck up, so it is. So that's going to cause some problems. (laughs) That's going to cause another act of the movie to happen. Vince and Saul show up with Boris and they're like, look, we know that there's something much bigger here than the little bit of money in the bookies. They know about the diamonds. They say they want half the diamonds. And then Boris is like, Right, well, this guy knows a bit too much already, so he kills Frankie. Yeah, so Frankie's dead. I love that. I love that you got someone as big as Del Toro, and it's just like, yeah, let's kill him, you know, halfway through the movie, whatever. Great stuff. And he's like, right, okay, you want half the diamonds, but no, you're not doing that. We'll kill this guy. But they've put the diamond back in the briefcase that was attached to Frankie, and Frankie's the only one who knows the combination to the briefcase. Boris, cool as a cucumber, just fucking lops off. Frankie's hand to get the briefcase to take that away so he's got the diamond now so the diamond is now in the possession of Boris the Blade slash Boris the Bullet Dodger that will come up later on but Boris can't be killed <laughs> uh, I think so he's kind of got like a Rasputin vibe to him or something like that which is also very video gamey now I think about uh, it like. and again yeah, the movie from the east end to the travelling community to it's lone Russian and to it's Jewish characters spares no expense in revelling in all the excessive stereotypes of the time like, it is yeah. exa- it's exactly as bombastic as you reckoned it would be now we have some visitors for Turkish Bricktop mm. has shown up and he wants a deal and I quote there's still Silly sods who blag the bookies, which is a phrase I've been walking around all day just going, the silly sods who blag the bookies. Love us. Bricktop is so good. He's got two cronies, Errol and John, who are in, I think, Turkish's flat. And as Turkish sees them and then backs up, he bumps into Bricktop, who just does this little, ah, like that. Like, just when he gets bumped into, he's like, ah, 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 like now, they need to go and find Mick if they want to have another fight. But, yeah. Uh, Mick is out coursing. Right, yeah. So Bricktop is like, okay, we need your bloke again to do another fight, but this time he does have to go down. For realsies this time. For real. And I want to find those lads who robbed the bookies. But, oh, and also his his cronies. Bricktop's like, do you recognise any of these these tits? And his cronies like, oh, I, I recognise a lot of tits, but not these two. But then Tyrone, getaway driver, big lad, they're like, ah... We know him. So, the cronies and Bricktop are on to Sol, Vinny, Tyrone. All right? Here we go. This is Here we go. And there's like a scene that's going on where they talk about coursing, which is basically when you get dogs to go after a hare, which is a large 
rabbit-like mammal yeah, yeah. found in the UK and Ireland. Lovely, lovely, lovely big hairs. And it's very horrible because you get dogs. It's basically just like you scare them out of their hole and then you chase them down and you kill them and it's fucking horrible. Yeah, it's like badger don't baiting. Like that. It's like badger baiting, but somehow worse because it feels like an even more inappropriate animal of the farthing woods to take part in such a contest. Yeah, it, so, it's yeah, grim. And you've got the, that happening. They're showing the, the coursing happening as like Tyrone is being hunted down. I'd forgotten uh, enough about this movie to be in constant fear of Tyrone being killed. I was like, no! My sweet angel! Yeah, so M- Mickey is like, if I win, I'll do your fight and I get a caravan. If I Another lose, caravan. An even bigger caravan. If I lose the bet, I'll do the fight for free. But he's, yeah, he's trying to get a caravan. He does win and he's going to get a bigger caravan. But while the coursing is happening, that cutting back and forth between the hare trying to outrun the dogs and successfully outrunning the dogs and Tyrone trying to outrun Bricktop's cronies. I love that so much. And it turns out Tyrone's the one who gets proper fucked here because he gets caught by the cronies. They set dogs on him, so he'll tell them who robbed the bookies. And so Bricktop's guys and Bricktop show up just basically in time to see them trying to dispose of Frankie Fourfinger's body. Yeah, now that that disposal scene, I just want to say, very, very Tarantino-y. Oh, like, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera pointing up at people looking down at the body. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. I think that that's almost fair enough in terms of where we are in time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what enjoyed. movies were like at the time. I don't yeah, think you yeah. kind of... There's a lot of, like, buzzing fluorescent lights and, you know, like, kind of drab colours and muted greens and things like that. You could look at any British movie from this time and they will all be using, regardless of genre, a very similar palette in terms of how they yeah, look, yeah. I would say. So he gives them a quick tutorial... And he's like, you need to get 16 pigs. You need to get more Bricktop books. So he's basically a freemium game here telling you, if you really want to get to the end goal, like you're going to want to you know, put in a little money up front to get my, my Bricktop deluxe gold case. But these two lads don't know who Bricktop is. But their mate, I can't remember the actual character's name, but he's played by Goldie. Do you know Goldie? Know much of Goldie? Goldie? Goldie. No? Their mate, who, you know, so we've got Sol and we've got Vinny, and we've got their yeah. other mate, and yeah. not Tyrone, but like another yeah. another lad there. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, kind of, he's got, yeah, yeah. Say, yeah. That's a guy called Goldie, who was a musician, and he went out with Bjork for a while. Wow, and that's about, about that? all I know about Goldie. But Goldie's there as well. Goldie knows who Bricktop is. These other two lads don't. So there's just a man talking about pigs, and be, be wary of any man who owns a pig farm. Pigs can eat two pounds of uncooked flesh per minute. Hence the expression, greedy as a pig. And they're like, but who is this bloke? <laughs> What's going on? He gives the famous speech then, doesn't he? Do you know what a nemesis is? All sorts. Big Iro, you know. Oh, breathtaking now. Personified, in this case, by an horrible cunt. I am an horrible cunt, me. Do you hope, when you age and you become an elder Brish, would Mm. you like to become this type of a one or more of an Ian McKellen-shaped one? Or what would you reckon? Honestly, this type of one, so I can... Yeah. A little bit more pointy. Yeah? I need to buy slightly bigger glasses incrementally over time so that eventually I will just have these big old specs and look kind of scary. Right. I think, you know, once you're getting back into restaurants, you could really practice this new persona. In a, in a restaurant environment, you could really make that shine. Lots of clicking when, like, when you see your food is coming, you just you just click twice and you gesture to the table and you really feel like a bricktop type of a character. So, Kevin, do you know who we've got now? Cousin Avi, the American man, is here and he wants to track down Frankie Fourfingers and the diamond. Who wouldn't? Who does he get to track him down? It's none other than the hardest of the hard men, Vinnie Jones. Oh! 
Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Bullet Tooth Tony. I mean, the flashback to how the origin story of Bullet Tooth Tony. Shot six times. Shot six times. Had two of them made into teeth by Doug the Head. So they, there's a relationship there. He knows Doug, Bullet Tooth Tony. Avi knows Doug. And the, so we're all, all together. But and as, as the story goes, he simply had too much curling coursing through his veins <laughs> that the bullets couldn't penetrate him. Uh, but when that sixth bullet went in, they only had a hat-trick scored at Manchester Stadium. And Alex Ferguson and Eric Cantona, well, they did more than a bit of celebrating that night. I haven't seen Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, right? Yeah. But holy shit, Vinnie Jones is good in this. He has to do so little. And I'm not saying this is a bad mm. thing. I want it to be known that I truly mean this as an ultimate compliment in the highest regard. I think Vinnie Jones is year... Arnold Schwarzenegger in that you show up you do you and we will make the movie around you and we'll all be very happy with whatever comes this is only his second film credit he's just he got straight into it through Guy Ritchie and he's just wonderful stuff from Vinny ah, here. yeah. Now, Vin, Vinny's been in some clunkers and all that, but what I like mm. about him is any, like, hard man type typical uh, Hollywood actor or whatever who is okay from the get-go about being in, like, comedy movies and light-hearted stuff. No, don't do it as fast as Dwayne Johnson. That was creepy. But, like, Vin Diesel in The Pacifier was a very, very spiritual moment for a lot of us in Hollywood, you see. Mm. So I feel that Vinny let it know that he was game for a laugh from the get-go, even though he had a reputation right earned as the hardest or most erect of the hard brackets erect men he went from the hardest man in football to just the hardest man in film you know and that's that's saying something so tony bullet to tony he's chatting to mullet which is spud <laughs> from train spotting i wrote down here he goes after a limmy improv story character <laughs> And the whole driving down the seat with this poor lad's head in the window playing some music. I, d- I just kept writing down, like, God, Vinnie Jones is good. I, d- I just, I don't know why. I-, I think I know about the kind of idea of Vinnie Jones and him being like a, you know, an odd man. And I think he was on the wrestling at one point. He was on the wrestling at one point, and he was a, a, a natural fish of sorts. He attempted to come back into wrestling again at one point, a little bit of a crossover when he co-starred with Stone Cold Steve Austin in The Condemned, which was uh, another Vinnie Jones vehicle that, that, that we all love here in the world. But I didn't know that Vinnie Jones, at least in this instance, is genuinely pretty good here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, this is the type of role he was <laughs> born to play. And I would say as well, you know, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you look at his first, I'd say, three or four movies, mm. you know, even by Raw Deal, and he'd done a few movies at that point, he was, like, really fucking struggling just to actually, like, mechanically speak and act in the English language. It was tough for him and all that. Yeah. Whereas Vinnie Jones, he feels very, very, like, not just a language barrier, obviously he's got an advantage there, but he just feels, like, a little bit more natural. Like, I feel with Arnold, they saw a big lump of meat and co. we can make him into something in Hollywood. Whereas Vinnie Jones, they saw him and it's like, we know exactly what we're going to do with you yeah. now. And do it. And he does it great. He's an authentic fit. So, they've tracked down Sol, Vinnie, and now they know... Boris is the one who has got the diamond, if we recall. Boris has still got the diamond. So, Bricktop, who is... Well, he's all kinds of pissed off, isn't he, still? He's he's upset. Most of the movie he's upset, Sam, it's safe to say. He wants to make sure that Turkish and Tommy and Mickey all do what they need to do for this fight. And his way of doing that is through 
really yucky intimidation. He sends some lads to smash up Turkish's arcade. That's pretty bad. But also, mm. he burns down Mickey's mum's caravan while she's asleep in the caravan. Now, if I were to want to encourage a fighter to do as I say, I don't know if this is what I'd do. No, it, it almost is so egregious when you read it out there now and kind of looking back at mm. the sequence of events... And I know Bricktop's meant to be unhinged and all that, but yeah. it doesn't make a massive amount of sense, really, when you think about it. It makes enough sense to then later on be like, ah, it's a, we've we've twisted it a bit here. And I think Turkish later on says, that, oh, Mickey took this whole thing surprisingly well. Turns out, obviously, he didn't. And, you know, that plays into things later on. You're, you're a bit of a kind of an old catch-22 here in some respects, because in yeah. one respect, I'm very glad that we have a story that makes Mick's character be more than just, there's a silly traveller now who sounds weird and, oh, he's violent, I'm scared of him. And you give him, like, you know, they do kind of a revenge plot here from here mm-hmm. on, where you see them kind of, if you make assumptions that they're, like, disorganised and all that, like they make out at the start, they kind of take advantage of that, and they, they subvert it a bit and throw it on its head. Yeah. Is there a way to do that without killing like one of three women who has like more than one line in the movie yeah Yeah, probably Uh, i don't know uh. but again we're in the year 2000 not much has changed but we kill all the women and it look it's a pretty it's a horrible scene and it's genuinely pretty emotional it's got that song that i recognized in the late 90s early 2000s that's like kind of slow but kind of Yeah, and it, but it has a bit of this like, love you, love you, love you, love you. And it's just, yeah, whatever that is. I mean, there's music in here that's like interchangeable that is just like songs from that area of time. Do you get the sense with Guy Ritchie that he thinks he's a bit of a Quentin Tarantino or he's oh, like, definitely. everyone's going to think I'm so cool because of my great music mix here on the movie, which a lot of the tracks are like, just, I want to play a cool song for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think definitely he was going for like, I'm going to be the British Tarantino. That's who I am. That's who I'm going to be. And it's that's going to be my entire niche. And it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll do what he did, but over here, and it'll be different. It'll have its own identity, but it'll be kind of the same. No, he said, looking at his tumbler of aged scotch, I'd rather be the first guy Ritchie, slowly, as the... Tar- <laughs> slowly as the portrait of Guy Ritchie once again (laughs) turns very so slightly more into Tarantino. Yes, he said, the first Guy Ritchie, dot, 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 dot. So, Tommy, you know, silly old Tommy, he manages to rescue Turkish from the cronies by using his dodgy gun that he got from Boris before. He's all grown up now Mm -hmm. because he listened and learned the true sound and he's finally getting his turn. Yeah, and... Look, Mickey agrees to do the fight and go down in the fourth round, and you're like, and even at the time watching this scene, where he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it," so he doesn't cause any more trouble. I'm like, "No, that's not what you would think. That's not how you'd actually deal with this. You wouldn't be like, well, yeah, he did kill my mum, so I don't want him to kill anyone or hurt anyone else. So I will, I will do as he said." No, oh, yeah. Mickey, you, you would be telling an Irishman what he could and couldn't think now, wouldn't you? Again, not strictly Irish. It's a little bit more complicated. Referred to earlier in the episode, there will be a test at the end of Act Three. So, Boris is in Doug the Head's shop trying to sell the diamond. Come on now, sell it. And 
Bullet Tooth Tony and Avi are all upstairs, I think, watching this happen. They're like, okay. And they've got a big tough guy called Rosebud. He's like a big, big tough crony. And he goes to deal with Boris. But Tony's like, oh, he's hard. You know, if you scrap with Boris, it's going to end up bad for you. And he's like, no, I will take him. And then immediately we get that cut to Rosebud with his head all fucked up in the car. Like, ah, I'm in a lot of pain. I've been. But they've got Boris in the boot. Got Boris in the boot of their car. So there we, we've got one car there. We also have Turkish and Tommy. Yeah. And Turkish is drinking milk, which he does he, all he the does time. He does a lot. He does a lot in the movie. He does a lot of drinking milk. Oh, can you say, what the fuck do you mean, lactose intolerance? Oh, I can't even remember what the voice I was in. What the fuck do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you fucking mean? <laughs> what the fuck do you mean, like? What the fuck do you mean, lactose intolerant? No, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. It means, oh no, I wanted to do a dialogue with you. You're doing so good. Okay, okay. okay. Let, me, let, me, let, me, let me go. What the fuck do you mean, lactose intolerant? What What means, Mr. Satham, is you've taken so much milk and dairy in is that your body can no longer actually break down the sugar lactose, so it actually gives you discomfort in your stomach. Right. Who's taking the jam out of your donut, mate? Because... You've taken no, the milk no, out of my hands. You can still have the jam in your donut, but you oh. have to lay off them frozen pizzas, though. They'll no longer be allowed, Jason. I'm sorry. Also, why does Turkish keep mentioning the Germans? Because it's fucking England. You can't go okay. two seconds. You just say the Germans every now and then, and it's a bit of fun. Don't mention the war, he said, after his 10th marathon of the one episode of The Faulty Towers. Don't, don't mention the war. Don't mention the war, he said, in his fucking private room full of Nazi memorabilia. Don't mention <laughs> In the war, he said. You would you fucking get over it here? Jesus Christ already! All right, Kevin, we've got a car with Boris in the boot and a big tough guy with a hurt head who wants to do some stabbing. We've also got Turkish drinking milk with Tommy. Tommy's mm. saying humans aren't set up to drink milk, mate. It's bad for you. We we don't have the digestive system to deal with it. And we've also got Sol, Vinny, and Tyrone driving as well. Like, three groups of main characters here are all driving at the same time. Tommy gets the milk from Turkish, chucks it out of the window, right? Now that collides with Bullet Tooth Tony and Avi's car, causes a crash. Boris is out of there, running around with a hood over his head because he's all tied up. So Boris has got away. And then Boris gets hit by Tyrone... And Sol and, and Vinny, Vinny, yeah. And Vinny? And what what yeah. I like most about this scene is that when I watched it, I just imagined because you get to three different cars from the same shot of people in a car. I just kept going, nah, nah, nah. Park light, uh, uh, what do you mean we're not set up to, to dodge it? All day England, so many England, y'all go scoring goals, goals. <laughs> scoring <laughs> lots of goals Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff yeah this it was i mean phil daniels off of park life would not go amiss in this film oh no i mean he, he could have been the titular character you know he could have been turkish rosebud's big tough guy has accidentally stabbed himself with the giant blade so he is gone and this was the point where i really fully started to not really be able to keep track of the carnage and i think the film knows that a little oh, bit oh yeah it's it's meant to be like it's like so many of the, the coen brothers movies and stuff which i think he is trying to do a little bit of here as well where it's all the complex weavy stories all kind of coming together and mm. you know you don't care so much about the how and where they got to this point it's just about the consequences afterward which yeah. are you know upended constantly over and over and over it was perhaps easier to follow when we had all of our characters in separate places doing separate things and now all those stories yeah. are suddenly weaving together and in, intertangling with each other like turkish has got this thing where they're going into a house to get something and Boris runs in and gets a gun and runs off and I'm like I 
I don't know whose house that is or what's going on or why, but okay, uh, fine. They Let's- say to Tommy as well, they're like, look, you have to be careful because he's very, very tough and this guy's nuts. And then Tommy goes, oh, I don't care if he's a blooming hazelnut. And I thought that was a great line as well. You know, very, very good. You would you would care if it was a hazelnut, though, if you're having a brownie, wouldn't you, Tommy? You'd want to know. You'd want to know. Yeah, and uh, look, Turkish, you can have hazelnut milk, all right? You can have, like, any kind of those, those <laughs> nut-based drinks, okay? And that's fine. That won't trigger the bad digestion stuff, but it's, he, he won't listen to reason. The standoff between Sol, Vinny, and Tony, played by Vinny Jones, that's starting to get a bit confusing, is... Again, very good. The thing with their their guns that they're pointing at him. A, your gun has got replica written on yours. Where's mine? It's got Desert Eagle. 1.05638. All right there, Mr. Matts. That should precipitate your balls into shrinking along with your presence. Uh, oh, very good. Oh, uh, I, I, I tell you, him cocking the guns are fake, and then we get the shootout that happens, and he shoots through the wall. And I was convinced that my boy Tyrone once again was brown bread, i.e., not alive. And he, he turned out to be okay in the end. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on here. So Avi's here, Boris is here, those two lads are here, Tyrone's here, Tony, Vinnie Jones shooting through the walls. Does he kill everyone but Tyrone, or did I get that wrong? No, because you just didn't kill Avi. Avi gets away. Avi gets away, Sol and Vinny have got away, uh, because basically Bullet Tooth Tony just goes, nah, nah, fuck off. And they fuck off and he has a nice pint until things start to kick off. Tony finally kills Boris but after having to shoot him about 10 times, because he shoots him, and then Boris is like, I'm still here. <laughs> bang. No, you've not quite got... Bang. Uh, B- Boris, are you still fucking alive, man? Bang. I mean, very funny and silly, and really daft at this point, the stuff that's going on here. Austin Powers in this movie, same energy, man. You know, same righteous energy, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it, brother. Who's got the case now? So, Avi's got the case, I believe, and Avi's out of here. And then we right. go back to B&B Inc., Bangers and Boxing. Gorgeous George is alive. He's just got his mouth all braced up. Mm. And they start talking about the big boxing match that's coming up and how they were a little bit worried initially that Mickey was going to kill him, but then they're even more worried now because it was going to be the wake for his ma, and it meant that he was going to show up all sorts of hungover now. And he was yes. having a, a big old night. He kept her lit, and now he's got an arsehole like a exploded light bulb so he does so he'll be in no fighting form at all here now their options here their choices and turkish is always very calm about these things he's sort of saying basically we're fucked if mickey knocks out our guy straight away but actually he's probably going to be hung over so he might not even make it to the fourth round and so both options we're going to get killed and fed to the pigs and he's explaining this very calmly and Tommy's like why are you not fucking scared of this mate because like, oh, we got no choice you know because I had me fucking milk <laughs> so there is a great scene now where yeah. Avi and Bullet Tooth are told that the dog has the diamonds and then yeah. Avi's like who really wants to leave and he goes to him and he says open him up and Vinnie <laughs> Jones with one of the movie's best lines oh. hey, he's not a fucking tin of beans tin of beans yeah what do you mean open him up that's wonderful. Sol and Vinny are there as well, and nobody wants this dog to die apart from Avi, who just wants to get this fucking diamond. Turns out, though, that they were just pretending that the dog had the diamond. It was Vinny who had it in his pocket the whole time. But then... The dog eats the diamond! The dog does get it, 
runs away. Avi accidentally kills Bullet Tooth Tony while trying to kill the dog. I'm sad that Tony's gone because Vinnie Jones is great. It's very like, uh, you know, we mentioned Edgar Wright as a kind of like, oh, it's, it's quite like this, but it really reminded me of The Simpsons, the way that this bit of a yeah, joke yeah. was done where it's like, yeah. he's killed and then you literally, it's like, I'm on a plane and it's like, Vsh! and then he's like an immigration like, anything to declare, like, yeah, don't go to England or whatever it is. And that reminded me so many of you, the common punchline in The Simpsons where it's like, something happens and then you hear like them run down the stairs into the car and you, hear the, you know <laughs> drive off and then you hear the plane or whatever it is I really like that a character who is so focused on getting this diamond throughout the film and that's his whole thing it's like I, I'm gonna get this gosh darn diamond like in any professional situation I am the Avi I am the person who will find the path of least resistance to it being done and us going home <laughs> but as, as he sees a dog swallow the diamond and run away that's the point where it's just like fuck this up no, and no. a plot point is just that a character gives up and goes home he's just like like, fuck this I'm I'm going away it's the night of the fight and Mickey is more than a bit dicky oh Oh, no it's not not looking well he's taking on a thick British man and it looks like it's going to be a repeat of what happened before one Mm. punch no the serious series does not continue and the match turns into more of a dragged out it was quite like Rocky actually in terms of the the quick cuts the cannon like lightning fast uh, action and whatnot. I wrote down there's some really good boxing cinematography and acting and choreography here the stakes are pretty high here because Britbox has got some lads who are about to do some serious damage to the campsite if things go awry and Turkish and Tommy are just going to be killed if if anything goes wrong yeah they're resigned to that fact almost and that grotty yellow colour that says underground boxing oh uh, yeah which, you, you know, can we... smell the piss and bo in the air can't you yeah and it proper like, taste it gritty real fighty ouch looks painful stuff and uh, mickey actually does get knocked down in the fourth round he yeah goes he, down. he gets beaten into a figurative underwater state which you know you know when that happened in rocky mix there to scuba there like <laughs> and so mickey's gone down in the fourth everything's going to be okay we Hooray! finally had to... oh wait no he gets up and punches his opponent the who fuck gave out. him a second wind what uh, freeze frame and we've got turkish saying now nah, we're fucked and they are fucked because things have gone but sometimes just when you think you're fucked all the jam in the world comes back <laughs> into your donuts <laughs> it's like it's, seriously his donut doth overflow with the plan execution oh. here from Mickey and the gang it's, it's this amazing this is like an episode of Hustle here what's happening and it's not just briefcase switching because there's been some of that already so we get a flashback to Mickey's plan the travellers ambush the men who are waiting to kill them they're here outside the boxing match Mickey's been betting on on himself in these fights so he's actually he's made quite a lot of money out of this bricktop and his cronies get shot to fucking bits and mickey off he pops with all this money he's done brilliantly out of this he's made a series of very smart decisions and he's taken advantage of these people who were trying to exploit him, right? He's basically more, kind of, they show that he's more ruthless, he's mm-hmm. more of a, like a tactician, Machiavelli and all that. Like He outsmarts the biggest antagonist and like the person who's like unquestionably yeah. the most fearsome, loathsome individual and the you know, most intimidating, whatever. So yeah, I think that's kind of the nice taste, so to speak. But again, mm. you know, I, I couldn't say... I know. <laughs> As, as a community that I could tell you, the one thing I know for sure is mm. that the depiction of that outsiders do with them and whatnot often doesn't go down particularly well. No. So I'm not really sure 
how this was received. I just know that in Ireland, there was a lot of people who were really pissed off that people were like, oh, what a shit Irish accent. And people were like, oh, yeah, it is a shit Irish accent. But like, even a lot of people in Ireland couldn't tell you if that was a good accent or not. Because if you're in Ireland, there's around 35,000 travellers who live in Ireland. There's around 60,000 that live in the UK. And mm. it's a, it's its own distinct subpopulation to an extent. So I would only say, now having lived here for a few years, maybe that I could say that, yeah, it is kind of alright for what it's meant to be, which is an Irish traveller in the UK. So, look, it ain't fucking Dick Van Dyke doing a chimney <laughs> sweep, alright? If that's what we're saying no, here. I don't want to like do too much like hand-wringing here, but I feel like there's a lot of like stereotypical stuff going on with the representation here and there is something here that seems to suggest ah we tricked you and we you know that you fell for those things that you thought about us and that but I don't think that's enough to kind of undo I don't know like it's it's a complicated thing and I'm not best placed to say anything about it but it feels like it it, it could have been a lot worse and the characterization I think could have been just played off entirely for yucks and had like no redeeming instead it's like qualities, 70% right? yucks so you <laughs> there's know. a lot of yucks yeah yeah it is uh, again based. all I'll say is if you're going to cast Brad Pitt in your movie you know I'd rather him have a stab at this than try some fucking English accent and try and be a cockney geezer because oh yeah that would have probably been traumatic for everyone involved I'll tell you what Sam if you you or the listeners are after a truly atrocious regional specific accent done by a big Hollywood megastar that is kind mm. of like insulting in many levels. I would suggest checking out as much of Dr. Doolittle starring Robert Downey Jr. as will get you to hearing him actually speak. Because, I, oh. Oh, Sam, I am I in, didn't know he did. I am in awe at how bad it is. I knew nothing about what accent he does in that film, is it? It's allegedly Welsh. Welsh? Welsh? Oh. Oh, oh no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Hollywood, just leave these fair isles alone. How about that? Like, you know, stay away. Stay well enough away. So, Mickey's gone. Britbox has finally uh, vanished, which would be a real shame if actual Britbox were to vanish. If you want that sponsorship deal, just reach out because we exactly. have said it. A number of times. We have said it. And I think that it would be something our listeners would be very interested in. And I like British telly. You know? And I love boxes, so, you know. So there we go. Turkish and Tommy head to the campsite the following morning. It's completely abandoned. The police are here being like, hello, hello, what are you lads up to then? And Turkish, again, calls a cucumber, just like, oh, we're just walking the dog. The dog's there. The dog has run back to the campsite Uh... where he was originally purchased from. Uh, Tommy has to try and scoop up this fucking dog. We get a little bit of Sol and Vinny's situation as Turkish and Tommy are driving by. We just see that they've been arrested for having a man with a missing arm in their boot. Yeah. So they're in trouble, those guys. They didn't get a happy ending. But happy ending for all dog owners because... You never know when they're going to puke up a little surprise like a diamond. Turkish and Tommy got the dog with the diamond. They've gone to Doug, who calls Avi. He's like, I'm coming back to London. He comes back to London. The end. And look. That was a wild ride, and I had a lot of fun. I will say, it almost feels like, and I I don't think I could say this ever happens in Cinema Swirl, Mm. even though I've had a lot of time talking about it with you, and my fucking PowerPoint presentation notwithstanding, uh, I'm sorry, probably it's been cut down, I I was fucking talking for ages about this thing, because I researched it, I got excited. Yeah, yeah. But... I feel like the describing of a Guy Ritchie movie can take the wind out of one's sails a little bit about the movie itself. I'm not sure whether the film lends itself to what we do here at no, C- it's, Cinema it's as well, necessarily. No, it's to keep up, so to speak. Yeah. 
I don't want to say this to like no sell myself, but I don't know how enjoyable us just trying to explain what happened in this film is. I think we had a we had a few laughs along the way. Well, we guys. discovered that you've got a Jason Statham impression to die for. I don't for, know if so. I do. I'm not sure if I do. Look, maybe it'll come up later if we do some more Statham hey. on swell brackets. Probably swill. <laughs> possibly, possibly. But look, there's loads of things wrong with this, right? But yeah, but look, it's the we've spent so long talking about like you know the late '90s and all that. Like it feels like we've had a season of '90s movies here recently. Yeah. We talked about this on on Con Air and Face Off about like you know what was on the the mainstream Hollywood movie at the time. And this isn't mainstream Hollywood. I mean, it seems now, but like it was a British movie that was a yeah. kind of a bigger production because the previous one was a surprise smash hit was the hype and it being such a big part of the culture and not just England Ireland as well as I said you know mm. in Dublin I guess particularly but this was a big part of, of the, the, the noughties growing up warranted did you feel you missed out I think I did miss out yeah Ooh. I feel like this this would have served me well to have seen this as a younger man as a as a teen point of reference to have Vinnie Jones to talk to older boys with. I think if I was like 12 watching this and like, oh, I'm not supposed to be watching this then that kind of, the giddy thrill of it would have had its own merits, you know, yeah. I would have enjoyed it on that strength. I think now as an older <laughs> older man, now as an adult, I, I'd still really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. It's got its flaws all over the place. Mm. We've mentioned some stereotyping. We've mentioned that there's like a female character for like Two minutes, if that. There's the twins, and then there's the lady in the bookies. I mean, the the brief moments they get to speak, they were fun. But yeah, it's it's you know. But for what this is, which honestly, at times, I mean, it, I I know it's got its fair share of influences from other places. Probably things I don't know that much about. A fast-paced, frenetic, kind of British Tarantino-y looking feeling film. There's a reason why Guy Ritchie spent the rest of his career after a few other different things but a lot of the mm. time it felt particularly movies like rock and roller and revolver that he was really trying to capture this spirit and yeah if anyone who deals in nostalgia like we do here it's very easy to know that that's not an easy thing to replicate and i would say nay and impossible a man who's gone from his 30s to his 40s trying to recapture the spirit of his 20s is probably not the greatest way to approach your body of work as a director i feel like the trajectory of guy ritchie this more often happens or maybe it does happen to directors quite a lot as well but it happens to bands I get the feeling that these first two films yeah. are like kind of revered and loved yeah, yeah. and there's been some shit since there's been times where it's like oh no actually it's a, it, it's a return to form for Richie and then everyone's like no it's not it's not quite the same as the old day. it's a game of shadows give it a chance Guy Ritchie is essentially Weezer here and <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean that King Arthur would have played in oh, Fortnite? Is that, is that streamed exclusively? On the- it does mean that. I think so. When it played at the cinema that I worked at, no one fucking came. <laughs> so, oh, God. I, I never saw it, but I heard that it was a complete stinker. I think a, a guy with Richie's swill would be a lot of fun, because I think, you know, you've seen... If, if he could ha- show you one movie... I think he's probably glad that you saw this one because Lockstock, yeah. I'd argue Lockstock is almost a bit better. I'm sure there are people who kind of feel like we should have mm. done Lockstock before Snatch, but the fact that he's got the star power, you've got your casual Del Toro and Brad Pitt thrown in there. It's very much a look, I've married Hollywood and East End London and it's a fucking laugh riot. Look mm. on my work, see mighty and fucking blackguards. Since you were talking about it in the pre-swirl, I looked up that swept away thing. It's It has a reputation of one of the worst films of all time. I, I thought it was just a bit shit. It's actually like 
really like famously shit. It's like, where the Tarantino started taking him over. He's like, come on, Madonna, get in a car and drive real fast. No, oh, I'm not boy. a stunt driver. You are now, baby. Come on, here are the keys. Jingle jangle. And I remember the marketing push for that King Arthur film being like hard, strong, and no one went to see it. It was strong and uh, not brave. It was. I, I, I think David Beckham's in it. I think Ed Sheeran might pop up as well. <laughs> The whole gang's here. Do you, th- do you think Guy Ritchie, in trying to like rekindle some of the spark that made his early films good, was like, "We'll just get an- we'll get a footballer in and we'll put them in a film, and it'll be it'll be just like Vinny. It'll be like what we did with Vinny. Come, Come on. on, look, it's not 1999 anymore. Noel Gallagher's not going to ten down in the street. Uh, cool Britannia is not a thing. Okay, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's all it's all over. It's but all over. As a glimpse back to that time, the golden years to enjoy. I think culturally significant in its own way, or at least as a little time capsule, or as an interesting thing, a British film from that time that is well regarded and at the time and now seemed exciting and fast and funny and interesting. I'll I'll tell you what it is, Sam. In years to come, it'll be regarded as for the UK, Gen X's We'll Meet Again. That's what this will be. I can't say too much, like bad about it like yeah I, I keep having to acknowledge like there is stuff bad about it and it's flawed and it's i mean sometimes it feels like a bit of a mess and there's a lot going on but i think that's part of the fun of it it's yeah. kind of fast and makes you a bit dizzy and would you want to watch it again or yes. would you be more inclined yes. towards going to see lock stock or another Ooh. another richie joint actually maybe maybe this is making me want to check out lock stock because if that's the same sort of thing and i could just eat this up again like you know chips and kebab meat just get it down me and enjoy it and yeah. that of course is cockney rhyming slang for quality street uh, chips and kebab meat don't forget that one well okay we'll, we'll let you folks decide if you know we won't do it immediately not for a few episodes but say four or five episodes time we're kind of thinking about other episodes too if you want us to return to this world i'd be more than happy to do so there was some great performances in this who, who did you like the most? I think Vinnie Jones got the most, like, untempered praise from you. It felt like you were gushing for VJ. I think I, I really enjoyed Vinnie Jones mostly because I didn't know too much about his actual right, yeah, acting. Yeah. I hadn't really seen it. And to actually be like, oh, sh- it's good. It's good. It works. Was it, was it like when you finally started watching Schwarzenegger movies for this? And it was like, oh, he's actually entertaining. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Similar kind of thing. In terms of characters like Sol and Vinnie, they're, like, the, the comedy there... And Tyrone, that whole gang. I want a movie with just those guys, to be honest. Yeah, very funny. And as I said, this has that kind of TV feel where you could easily spin this off into the stories of these characters and have fun. I think there was a Snatch TV series. Really? I've not heard, I've not heard good things. It was I recent can't... and it had Rupert Grint in it. Oh, Two series. Hey, two series. Yeah, two series. Add that on the Lethal Weapon TV series for movie shows that have come out that you didn't know about and kind of wish you didn't know about. I don't know. It's conflicted. Look, Sam, you've had yeah. a lot of praise. We've mm. discussed some heavy, heady issues here today. What I need to know is you're not Meg Grayton, a.k.a. your <laughs> star wipe rating. Look, I'm going on gut reaction here, and mm-hmm. I just feel really like I had a fucking blast. Mm-hmm. When I think about the rating I'm giving this, I'm also thinking, what am I saying that this is better than? But you know what, mate? Fuck it. I don't want any of you lot at home to take the jam out of my donut, all right? Uh, open a tin of beans. All right, I can put a crimp in your day, but I can't take the jam out of your donut. What is this? Don't put a crimp in my jam of beans, all right? It is a four fucking Star White movie. You heard it here first. 
Whee! Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Swirl. This episode was produced by Kevin, edited by me, Sam, and hey, I also did the music. If you're after more Swirl content or you want to support the show, or better yet, both, patreon.com forward slash cinemaswirl is the place to go. On the socials, we are at cinemaswirl on Twitter, and our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash cinemaswirl, which is also where our votes for episodes take place. If you've got anything for the mailbag, then send it on over to cinemaswirl at gmail.com. That's cinemaswirl at gmail.com. Please do keep recommending the show to your friends, leaving reviews on whatever podcast thing you use. It all helps us out. Thank you so much. All right. See you next time.